God has given you and me, folks, just this one life. And when you think about the vastness of human history and the vastness of time and the vastness of eternity, our lives really are just a tiny sliver in there somewhere. Now I'm convinced that none of us makes a good and full use of our time. Some spend years in the wilderness, uh, the wilderness of this world, and effectively wasting all their time just playing at work and families and that sort of thing. They get converted. And then they find after years of being converted, they look back and they see they still haven't made good use of their time. They haven't been very wise. Some people are brought up in Christian homes. And they're converted in their youth. Yet even those people will find that when they get older, when they look back, they will have some regret about how they use their time. Some of them, obviously, would want to go back and have another go. That's a popular thought, isn't it? Go back and have another go. I know what I'm doing now. But we can't. This is it. This is it. And that strange and awful thing that Kohelet was talking about which happens to other people it, it is coming for us it, it doesn't matter if you're a decent person or a rogue it doesn't matter if you're a believer or a heathen Job said something very similar he had this startling realisation that God is going to take out the righteous as well as the unrighteous neither will escape this thing this this end this death I bet some of you noticed that in verse 11 it said that the Kohelet he says time and chance happen to, to everyone now that seems a bit dodgy doesn't it that sounds a bit sort of uh, yeah uh, unbiblical um, but I'd say elsewhere, Kohelet shows us he believes God is in control. He knows quite well God is in control. We're not, uh, we're not just victims of time and chance in that way. He's not making a theological statement here. He's, he's uh, expressing this uh, as a human, from a human perspective. It looks like, it looks like random things happen to us all. You can't look at Christians and non-Christians even and say, well, uh, fewer Christians get cancer than, than, than non-Christians or anything like that. That's not real. The, the accidents and illnesses and disabilities are common to all men. That's what he's expressing there. And in verse 10, he says this remarkable thing. He says, look, when you're in the grave, it's too late to achieve your goals. You can't achieve your goals when you're dead. You can't make plans when you're dead, he says. And even, even while we're alive now, we, we don't know, do we, what the day will bring. Not really. 
Verse 12 says, um, Man does not know his time. The children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. However, that said, we are alive today. We are alive today, that much we know. And while we're here, we need to just be getting on with it. We need to get on with it. And by that, I want to um, say that it means three things. From the reading today, I want to encourage you to work hard in whatever you do. Enjoy life as well. And also serve God. So work and play and serve. So we're going to look at those three things. The first one is working hard. Okay. Verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Do it with all your might. If you want to achieve anything, now is the time. Now is the time to be working hard. You can't plan, you can't work at things when you're dead. Now, it is worth saying this again. Our author always speaks of death in two ways. He believes that when we are dead, we are dead. In other words, when I'm dead, Karen can come and visit my grave the week later and I won't be there, I'll still be dead. And she can come the year after and I'm still, I'm still dead. You know, in other words, Kogelic's trying to reinforce, you know, when Paul's gone, he's not coming back. There's no hope he's coming back like Lazarus, like that. So for the point he's making right now, he wants us to be, he wants us to be clear that when we're gone, we're gone. We can't come back here to Mitchell and say, right, all them things I needed to do, I really wanted to mend that toilet, you know, I really wanted to fix that roof. Uh, I'm going to do it now. We can't come back. So he's not speaking about end times stuff here. He's not speaking about end time events like our resurrection, which by the way he believes in, the resurrection of people. He's not talking about that. He's, he knows we'll live at some point in the future, but he wants us to understand that we want something doing, we need to do it now. So we should work hard in whatever we do. I don't mean working so hard, it makes you, your life a misery, but we should work hard. Let me ask you a trick question. Why did God put man on the earth? Think about that now. Now with these Bible questions I find um, some people aren't sure. So they, they'll try and give an answer that's a bit holy, you know. Think of an answer that covers almost every type of question. So, so uh, like, well, it's all about God at the end of the day, isn't it? You know, that sort of thing. So, if, when I ask that question, why did God put man on the earth? It, you might be tempted to give one of these holy answers, like, well, God put man on the earth to worship him, you know, and you think, that, that's got to be right, hasn't it? If you said that, then you can have half a point. You can have half a point for your effort. So, so well done if that was your answer. But if we are being a bit more careful and we let the scriptures speak, we might come up with something slightly different. Now it is true, 
and it always has been that our whole lives are an act of worship or a collection of acts of worship but let's look up the answer in the scriptures if you go to Genesis in chapter 2 and this is on page 2 so that should be easy to find page 2 in your Bibles it's Genesis chapter 2 and there's a couple of verses we're going to look at uh, something from verse 5 and something from verse 15 page 2 so Genesis 2 5 and 15 firstly from verse 5 there was God that created this world then there was no man to work the ground there was no man to work the ground so verse 15 the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it to work it and keep it well then it looks like God put man on the earth to work he didn't create Adam with the expectation that he would turn around face God and start singing hymns all day God created this planet earth then he created man and putting aside the scheme of salvation for a moment, the original creation was about making this planet, then making creatures, including man, who would occupy the planet and would manage it, would work it and manage it and be stewards of it. He was, Adam, he was uh, to work the ground. Work the ground, right? So it's a little bit like what Mavis Gabby do when they plant things and they look after them and they watch them grow so there'd be um, in this original place there would be there too there would be uh, flowers to make the place look gorgeous and then there would be uh, trees and, and, and uh, vegetables you know to, 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 to eat from so work then is a primary function of man the Bible even says that lazy people don't even deserve to eat. They don't deserve, deserve to starve. In, in the New Testament, we've got uh, another, another exhortation to work hard. Uh, and it adds a little detail. So we'll look it up together if, you, if you're inclined to. Uh, it's Colossians 3 and 23. And that's on page 1185. Page 1185. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 says three twenty-three. whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men whatever you do work heartily as if it was for the Lord and not for people now that was directed at a specific group of people, if you, if you read it, but it, it, it applies to every one of us. And this can be hard for some people in their circumstances, but whatever we find ourselves doing, we must try to do it as if that job had been given to us by Jesus Christ himself. 
How different would you work if the job had been given to you by Christ? How different would you do things? Let me address different people's circumstances, say, or some of them, if you're employed. If you are employed, you should be trying to develop a reputation for being a hard worker. If your colleagues know that you're a Christian, and you, you really should try at the earliest opportunity to, to get that into the conversation, then the, the way that you work day by day will reflect on your Christian faith. You are there to represent God. So that even, even if there's people there who don't like you so much, and let's face it, that's just that's to be expected. Not everyone will like you. But still they will grudgingly admit that despite this and this and this, you are a hard worker, you are trustworthy. What about if you are looking for work? Then you should be job hunting in earnest. You should be praying daily for help from God to, to, for you to, to find the right job for you at that time. And with the spare time you have at the moment, you should spend it wisely. So being unemployed and saying, oh, all this spare time and, and watching television or being on that phone all day, that is not good. Right now you have an opportunity to do things that when you get a job you won't be able to do. So look for opportunities to serve others with your spare time now. What about students? What if you're in university or college? Well, you should commit yourselves wholeheartedly to your studies. This means that you put your studies before good relationships in uni or whatever it is. It's natural for us to want good relationships. That, that's good. But God has placed you there primarily to do this task, to, to work hard, to study. Not, not so much to make new friends. So honour God by being a diligent student and making sure the friendships you do make don't hinder you in your studies eh, or, or in your walk with God. If you're a woman in a privileged place of being a full-time homemaker, well, you'll be kept busy, no doubt. And whether you're managing household finances, uh, cleaning, shopping, um, dropping kids off at school or home educating them, you're, you're to find a way, they are to find a way to remind themselves with every task that they're to do it as joyfully, joyfully as they can. Now the pressures in the role of a, of, of a, a homemaker, whatever you call it, the pressures can be as hard as any as any job, but the Lord would have them work hard and as much as it lies within them to work joyfully. And for those who are elderly or disabled, who feel that none of this applies uh, to you, I want to encourage you that it does apply to you. As long as you're alive, you can do something. Most people, no matter how old they are, think of our brother Don, who can, who can hardly get around, he can't hardly move at the moment. But still, 
people can still do something. They can still do a bit of tidying. They can still put the kettle on. They can still make a phone call. And so, and I'd suggest to those people that they need to focus on understanding that God has put them in that position. This is a, a unique period in God's purposes for your life. And you should not see anything you do as trivial. Anything at all. Anything you think is trivial, you're to reject that. You're to do everything with an eye to God and do it as well as you can. They're just some circumstances that people we find in churches. The principle there is just, is just work hard, do it for the Lord. And the second thing we're to do is, is to enjoy life. So although it's pretty clear God wants us to work, but he doesn't want us to only work, we are encouraged to rest and enjoy stuff. If you look at verse 7 to 9 again, You'll see Kohelet given encouragement to enjoy food and drink, for example. If a man has a wife, he's to enjoy the time he has with her and vice versa. Verse 9 does say we should enjoy ourselves because of the vain life God has given us. That sounds a bit negative. Now, we've seen this word before, vain and vanity. And it sometimes refers to something that's meaningless, remember? And we've seen it uh, in this uh, in Ecclesiastes. We've seen it used about life itself. Paul saying, "What's the point of life? It's just it's vain. All is vanity. What's the point?" However, that word used here only intends to show how brief life is. Vain, as in very, very brief. We came across this in chapter five. Of, of Ecclesiastes uh, a while back we came to a, a nearly identical saying he says in chapter 5 and verse 18 uh, you can go back a few pages if you want to follow this uh, Ecclesiastes 5 18 behold what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil uh, which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him We're encouraged to enjoy life as well while we're alive. Enjoy it. Soon there'll be no more days out, no more family meals, no more cinema visits, no more socialising friends. It might even help when we do those things. When we do those good things now, it might help to remind ourselves of this uncomfortable fact. So we should think we have a limited number of these experiences left in life and just maybe if we keep that in mind we'll value friends and family more we'll appreciate our food and drink more we'll be more grateful to God for every day that he gives us if you were wondering what it says in verse 8 if you have a look at it, it talks about clothing and oil and stuff. White clothing and oil on your head. It's just symbolic of joy, that's all. It's symbolic of joy. It makes a contrast uh, with sadness or grief. 
So there's white clothing instead of sackcloth. There's fragrant oil on your head instead of ashes, like you did in the old days. It's just, it, it's just adding to the nice picture of enjoyment that he's presenting us with. I said we can appreciate the things in life more if, if we remind ourselves we only get to enjoy them for so long. But something else to keep in mind is that it's God who gives us all those things. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? But I don't just mean what his people receive. Every mouthful of food enjoyed by God's enemies is given to them by him. But you, uh, who claim to um, belong to God, you're expected to have this in constant remembrance that God is the giver of all these things. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. You want to follow this, it's on page 1196. Page 1196. 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now it's worth highlighting this, if it's not too obvious, that this doesn't only tell us that God supplies good things for us, it tells us he provides richly in abundance. He, he, God does not just give us enough to survive, you know, to just keep us from the, the edge of death at every moment. He gives us more. It sounds to me like this is the behaviour of someone who loves us very much. God likes to see us enjoy the things he's provided for us. He doesn't expect us to, to just work, you know, Work our fingers to the bone every hour of every day. And he doesn't expect us to spend every day here singing hymns either. He encourages us to take, to take time to, to relax. I'm a great fan of food. Yeah, no, no sarcastic comments, please. I'm a great fan. I love barbecues. And I love those Chinese uh, banquets in town. So if I'm going through town, I see this sign, this glorious sign saying, all you can eat is £12. Almost, almost crying. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? The all you can eat. And um, Now, even though, according to them, uh, I'm allowed to eat as much as I want. Obviously, I can't. Obviously, I won't. What will happen if I just gorge myself to get my money's worth, uh, well, I'll be sick. Now, I'm, I'm using that to make the point that we live, since we live with an abundance of things available to us, we must be careful. We must not overindulge. 
Now, I've already mentioned overindulging in food, and yeah, I have been guilty of that uh, numerous times. Food, you know, if you make a pig yourself, you'll be sick, uh, not to mention that it's sinful. But you can overindulge in lots of other things too. You can have too much alcohol. You can spend too much time watching television. You can become obsessive with your hobbies or your interests to the point where God sees it as idolatry. So we eat and we drink and we find enjoyment in all the things God has provided for us, but we manage our time wisely and we exercise self-control. Here's the third thing encouraged uh, to us. It's to serve God. The third thing is that we should serve God. It should seem pretty obvious that if you are a follower of Jesus, um, then Obviously, life is not going to be made up only of work, rest, and play. Obviously, we've, we have mentioned those already. For us, there's another area of life altogether. So whereas the people of this world limit themselves to their careers, uh, finding uh, enjoyment in the money that they make, we serve God too. We place the service of God at the very centre of our lives. For those who are in positions of like what we call full-time ministry, uh, it, it's a bit easier to see how they serve God because, because obviously they spend hours each day, uh, they have the privilege of being able to spend hours each day doing churchy stuff like you know evangelism or sermon preparation or, or prayer or Bible study. But all of us obviously are to serve God. All of us have that responsibility. None of you will argue with that, I'm confident. Now I've already given earlier some examples of how we can honour God in the everyday things we do. Things which are not directly connected to church activity. I thought I'd share this quote. This is by a guy called, it doesn't matter, Martin Hard in his book, Vocabulary of the Bible. He says, it is significant that Hebrew, so that's the language the Old Testament was written in, Hebrew has one word to denote work, service, and worship. In biblical thought, there is no watertight division between daily work and adoration of God. In the very first page of the Bible, Manual activity and the service of the Creator are inseparably linked. Everything which the believers do can and ought to be an act of worship carried out for the honour of God. So in other words, although like today I've made distinctions between work time and church time, the Lord, you know, sees our whole day as an act of serving Him. Now, the majority of Christians don't have the privilege of being in a full-time position of uh, ministry. They're not maybe called to that. They're not cut out for that, whatever. So for the majority of Christians, they have work responsibilities, family responsibilities, and that takes up most of their week, makes up most of their life. So for them, they are to organise their lives in such a way that they can be involved with the local church. Because gathering with believers regularly is expected. 
of those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. So, we serve God every day, but we come here to be involved with the life of the church. It's among the congregation of your fellow believers you serve God in this very particular way. You serve God firstly just by being here. Did you know that? You serve God just by being here. When you turn up, people notice. They're glad you made it. They're glad you didn't call off. And when you don't turn up and they glance over and see that empty seat, oh, they're just disappointed that you're not there. Your attendance, folks, every one of you, your attendance is important to other people. You also serve God, obviously, by worshipping him. You worship him uh, singing like the hymns we just sang. You worship him by praying or even by joining in when the person at the front is praying and, and saying, yes, amen. You join, you, 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 you worship in that way as well. You worship, you're, worshiping in, you're worshiping God now by listening, right? So if you're not asleep right now, and none of you are. I can, I can see you. You're listening. And that act of listening shows that you have an interest in the word of God. You serve God here also by making yourself available to people to speak to. There might be a brother or sister who just needs to speak to someone to get something off their chest. And you might be the person they see as the best person for whatever reason or you just happen to be there but you make yourself available and you, you, you help the brethren they might want to ask your opinion on something they might say as someone who's over 80 can I ask you a question as someone who works in this section in this industry can I ask you a question as a person who's under 20 can I ask you this question so you make yourself available they might just be lonely People can live with people but still suffer from loneliness. Do you know that? Right, that sounds strange. But people can suffer loneliness even when they meet people regularly and even if they live with someone. Some people hardly get to speak to others throughout the week. Especially, especially elderly people who are on their own. Some of them don't speak all week. One woman in the previous church said, you know what? When I come to church, this is the only time I hear my own voice throughout the whole week. The only time she hears herself speaking. So, we make ourselves available by being here. We also, um, when we come here, we serve God by encouraging the brethren. You might find someone says, I found something interesting in the Bible this week. And you say, oh, that's great. Maybe next week you can give me an update on what else you've found. You encourage them to stay in the word. Um, uh, maybe if they look a bit downcast, you can go and you can tell them how great it is to see them today. Encourage them. You serve God by looking for opportunities to help in the work of the church. And it could be anything. It could be making the tea. It could be cleaning and polishing. It could be carrying out maintenance. It could be arranging the chairs. It could be helping put the hymn numbers up, getting me my important glass of water, you know, all these things. 
audio, that's another one. You know, all these things, there's a hundred things to do and, and God, God really does expect you folks, everyone in the church, he expects you to, to look for what your job is in the church, look for something to do. And you serve God by using this place as a base of operations for outreach. Now, however the church uh, in the future now, uh, however we decide to evangelise the people in this area, you all should get involved in some way. Now, it may be, I know quite well, speaking to some of you, the idea of going around the houses and hosting things through letterbox, some people find it easy, some people are terrified by that, let alone going out and actually speaking to people face to face. I get that. So for the time being, until you maybe wake up some courage, you, you turn up anyway and you sit down and while they are out doing the leaflet, you can sit there and pray constantly for them. And when they come back, put the kettle on. So look, everyone should be involved. So serve God, folks, while you can. Your life, my life, it's like a vapour. It just appears and then it's blown away. Save God while you can. Here's some more direction from the scriptures. Some more direction from Romans chapter 12. This is on page 1109, if you want to. 1109. It's Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. It's important. It says... Romans 12, 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. So we don't serve God by just going through the motions, we, we don't convince ourselves that we've served God just by turning up. When, when your time is up, when you know your time, time is up, will you be able to say, I have fought a good fight, I have run that race? Will you? Every one of us must, must regularly take stock of our service for God. So, you, we've all got to ask ourselves, after taking into consideration things like age, disability, circumstances, factoring all that in, we still take stock and say, am I serving God wholeheartedly? Ask yourself that. Are you sure? Are you sure that there's, you can't do just a little bit more for God? That time recently when you made yourself absent, was it essential that you didn't turn up? Was it essential? Do you think God wants you to remain on the fringe of church life rather than at its centre? Are you zealous friends? Are you fervent in spirit? Do you really serve the Lord? Or have you got into the habit of becoming a professional churchgoer? I'm not trying to imply, friends, that any of these things apply to anyone here. I'm just strongly recommending that you take stock of your own walk with God and ask yourself these difficult questions. 
Put yourself on the spot. My role as a preacher is limited. I'm here to encourage certain behaviours and certain attitudes. You're the ones, as the listeners, who have to examine yourselves. And as it turns out, I have to listen to my own message and I have to examine myself. Especially so. There's a task you can do which, or you can imagine doing. It's a task. I find this quite challenging. So make a list when you get home, or make a list in your head now. Make a list of ways in which you serve God throughout the week. But there's one condition. You can't include your attendance here on a Sunday morning. So temporarily, take your Sunday morning attendance out of the equation and then start to make your list week by week. What, how, how, do you, how do you serve God? What would your list look like? I, I hope mine would look like this, like that. Would it? Would it really? Or would it, would it be like something that big? Maybe. We, have, we examine ourselves. How would your list look? The clock is ticking, friends. Jesus himself, you know, uh, urges all of us to be more active while we can. You've seen this before, but we, we remind ourselves of it. It's John 9 and verse 4, and it's found on page 1079. John 9 and verse 4. So this is especially important because, you know, this is Jesus, our, our master, speaking now. And he says, John 9 and verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. We work while it's still day because the night's coming soon. So before the resurrection morning, there'll be the night of death. When none of us can be involved in the work of the church anymore. So Kohelet and Jesus Christ and plenty of places in the scriptures joyfully urge you to do your daily work as if it was for God himself. They encourage you to enjoy in moderation the things God has supplied for your happiness and they encourage you to actively serve God in the church. We've been given the time we have now. We've been given it as a gift, eh, friends. So let's encourage each other to avoid wasting it. So, And above all, let's encourage each other to be zealous in the service of God.